0: It's not often one man is able to move the hearts of nations, to usher change across race and age, but when someone gives their life to a divine calling, amazing things happen. That is the legacy of Billy Graham.
1: Tonight, I am glad to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ can be received, your sins forgiven, your burdens lifted.
0: welcome to voices on the journey i'm the host jarvis Lepper. today we have will graham welcome to the podcast
1: uh, thank you jarvis great to be with you again buddy
0: will you made it across the border into canada without crossing the border how did you do that
1: uh, well thank goodness for good technology right absolutely and, and uh we're grateful for this opportunity and th- you know this is one of the things that i guess is one of the few blessings of COVID. it it uh, made us stretch the way we do things and things like that. So that's one of those good things that happened because of COVID.
0: Yeah, I started this podcast during COVID and uh,
1: I'm so thankful for it. Are you joining us from the mountains of North Carolina? I'm here in the mountains of North Carolina. This is where I live and outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, This is my grandparents, the Grahams, Ruth and Billy Graham. This is where they would raise their family. All their kids would be born in this area. My dad, Franklin Graham, be born right down the road from here and so this is where they grew up, and uh, uh, they they lived up on the side of a mountain, and uh, <laughs> it was real cold. You guys sent some real cold weather around Christmas time, and uh, it was uh, extremely cold. This would be uh, about negative 20 for you guys, uh, about negative 20 It was down here, uh, okay. which is somewhat rare, not unheard of, but a little bit rare, so thanks for, and I'm the guy that likes the cold weather, so thank you for sending it down to us
0: oh you're welcome i grew up on a mountain as well in nova scotia and i always told people i took a goat to get to my home
1: well well i don't have any goats but uh, we got electricity this year so that's good (laughs) welcome to the world yeah that's it
0: well will graham is the grandson of the ordinary and extraordinary billy graham who is easily the most famous preacher in our time. He has preached for 70 years to 215 million people. That just amazes my mind. And that must amaze your mind as you think about his work. And and I know you, Will, have preached to millions as well to since the year 2006. And I like what you said. I'm not trying to be the next Billy Graham. I'm just Will Graham. I have a burden in my heart to share the gospel. You
1: still hold on to that? Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, the worst thing you could be is trying to be like someone else, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, trying to follow another human on this earth. My granddaddy was a flawed man. Uh, I didn't see many of those flaws. He didn't have too many flaws in my, uh, I ever saw, but he was a human. He had his own, he was a sinner. Um, And so I've, you know, I just want to be faithful to who God made me, how I communicate the gifts that God's given me. Uh, I'm not trying to be like Billy Graham. Uh, I want to be faithful like Billy Graham. I want to preach the gospel, you know, faithfully like my grandfather did, but I'm not trying to copy him or anything like that. Um, God's made me unique and God will use me just like he used my grandfather to reach his generation. God's going to use me, uh, Lord willing, to help reach another generation.
0: Yeah, I like what you said elsewhere. You said, we're not called to fill other people's shoes. We're called to be obedient. And that's what you're being uh, right now in your ministry, is you're being obedient to to God's call upon your life.
1: Well, I'm I'm trying to. Um, You know, I was a pastor for a few years. I still miss the pastorate. I've always said, Lord, if if you allow me, allow me, finish in the church one day, you know, preaching in the church or something like that. I don't know what God's plan is for well, me. I'm I happy. know
0: a few openings.
1: A few openings. I, I
0: can, I can, I can hook you up.
1: Well, I, got, I got a few down here too, but I, I love where God's got me right now. I know it's not supposed to be in the local church, pastoring a church right now, but I've always said I miss it. I mean, I really do, Jarva. I miss preaching every Sunday. And so, what, so what I do personally, because I still got that itch. I mean, I got that. You know, in a sense of what preacher taught that fire in your belly, fire in the
0: bones, Isaiah.
1: Yeah. And you gotta, you know, you gotta get this message out. And so the way I do it, um, I teach devotions to my staff every week. So, and I pay them to listen to me. It's part of their, I mean, they're clocked in They're going to listen to me. It's like the opposite of church. You pay the pastor. I'm paying them to listen to me and, that, and I preach every week. Uh, I try to sometimes I'm traveling, I'm gone and I can't do it, but I try to do it every week. And I, and I go through, I've been going through first Samuel. I've now gone into second Samuel. Um, so this is about year 12 word by word, by word, by word. I go through the text and I go as far as I can in about 30 minutes. And then I cut it off and I pick up the next verse and start there the next week. There's enough material
0: there until you're 80.
1: There is. And that's what's so beautiful about God's word. God's word is powerful. It's rich. It's deep. And, uh, you, can, you could have 10 pastors preach the same passage uh, 10 times and you would get a, you can get a fresh message every time because it's, it's a living book you know and it's and it's, uh, it's God breathed and so it's God breathing into us and it's a different breath every time. so uh, very thankful for God's word.
0: Absolutely. And for our listeners, will Graham also serves as the vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and executive director of the Billy Graham training center in North Carolina. So you wear two hats and, uh, I'm so glad that you're here to unpack our topic today. We're looking at evangelism, which is sharing the good news of Jesus. I was reading that fewer than one in 10 pastors in Canada say their church makes sharing their faith a priority. And because of that, as I think about that fact, um, Will is going to help us recapture the vision of evangelism. And I hope that this will be used in churches in our walk with Christ as we uh, journey with him. So thank you for looking at evangelism today.
1: Well, I'm, I'm excited and uh, look forward to just talking and sharing a little bit what God's laid on my heart. And, uh, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to some of your listeners. Um, we'll just see what God has in store for us.
0: All right. Are you ready for question number one?
1: Yes, sir. It's it's
0: a. We'll just ease into it. This is a, this is an easy one. Okay. I hope. All right. Well, this past year, hundreds of Christian leaders from across Canada attended your evangelism summits. You put on retreats for pastors. I was there. Beautiful spot. Uh, you just completed your northern Canada Christmas tour in December, and I know you were in Moncton in two thousand and eight. So you spend lots of time in Canada. So that means I need to declare you officially Canadian.
1: Well, I love Canada. I mean, I, I really do. And I'm not saying that because I'm on the podcast. I mean, I spend a lot of time up there. You have one of the prettiest countries in all the world. Uh, the Canadian Rockies are majestic, especially compared to the U.S. Rockies. <laughs> I mean, your Rockies are unbelievable. and uh, And I've gone from... I've gone from the East Coast. I've gone to your West Coast. I've gone to your Southern border. <laughs> I've been your... everywhere, man. Yeah, I really have. And I've been, I mean, I've, all, I've been all the way up to, um, you know, Baker Lake, which is the dead center of geographical center of Canada is Baker Lake. And I've been there preaching the gospel. So uh, I've been about everywhere.
0: And and our listeners may not know, but George Beverly Shea, who was part of Billy's team, was Canadian.
1: Yeah, he is, He uh, he's Canadian um i miss him a lot but uh, he was a fellow canadian and he, uh, he 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 would still go to his place up in ontario to he had a cabin a little shack on the lake somewhere i'm not i, I don't know where and uh, he would drive his boat up there from here drive his boat and pull it in the suburban that so he got pulled over one time all right let me tell you this he got pulled over one time because he and his wife were not when i say arguing they weren't like fighting they were like which direction like oh do we take a left or do we take a right up here you know and they're and he's not paying. He's going down the highway. He's not paying attention, and uh, he's going very fast. And uh, the policeman, uh, or the uh, Royal Canadian Police, uh, pulled him over. And uh, and uh, they looked. They get his driver's license. They look at it, and they they automatically know who it is. You know they know they know George Beverly Shea, and they're looking at it. And um, uh, they look at him. And they said, sir, I've never seen someone actually go their age before. He was 99, <laughs> so this has been 99 like, miles per hour. And so uh, he was going very fast. And so the cop said, I can't give you a ticket. My mama will kill me. So would you just please, please slow down. <laughs> so he was taking his boat uh, in a suburban and still driving at that age, still wow. in the state. And, uh, But I miss him. He's a, a, a tremendous Canadian. Uh, And he's well-loved in your country and my country as well.
0: Yeah, I didn't plan on saying this, but I remember watching him on 100 uh, Huntley Street, our Christian program here in Canada. And he's watching videos on the internet, George Beverly Shea. And he looks into the camera and says, if I can do this at
1: 104, you can too. (laughs) I loved his humor. No, he he was a lovely man. I mean, just... uh, never met a stranger and he was still singing he would sing to more people I don't know this is a fact there's no fact but I think that he has sung more to live audiences than anybody else in human history one is you got to have a long career which he did he I mean he was singing in his teens all the way to 104 in public Uh, that's unheard of for anybody Um, and then he was not just speaking to small preaching to small crowds he was preaching to hundreds of thousands of people at a time. and so I don't know if any there's any other person that sang to more people in live audiences than than him and so that's a big feat for anybody and and he's a Canadian at yeah all that, so.
0: and, and he and he's the one that really brought in how great thou art and yep. added some of the lyrics It's an amazing legacy he's left
1: yeah and he was the famous one when my no one heard of my grandfather Billy Graham. And so when they first met in Chicago, my grandfather had started a, just a radio program and uh, no one had heard of Billy Graham. He was a nobody pastor. And so as he was, uh, my granddaddy was, uh, needed some, he needed some, uh, a well-known name to come with him. And so he got George Berlushe because he was singing all over on the radio and stuff. Oh and, Lord, my God. That that's good. That's <laughs> a pretty good invitation. But he went and got him, and uh, that's how they started that friendship and so um he was a and that that started and then cliff would come a couple years later but george beverly shay my grandfather they were the first ones to get together and they started but they didn't start the radio program my granddaddy took it over and it was songs in the night and my granddaddy would preach and george beverly shay would sing wow so
0: let me get to the question about canada Mm -hmm. um how did your evangelism start in canada
1: well, that's, that's a good question. My, for those who do not know, my my very first evangelistic meeting for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association took place in Canada. And uh, of all places, it's a, a town called Barrie, Barrie, Ontario, right there north of Toronto. Um, that's where it started for me. So that's, that's one reason why I love Canada, is where my ministry started, <laughs> my evangelism ministry. And uh, I had gotten a a call from our the man who ran our office at the time. His name was Sean Campbell. And uh, Sean uh, still works for us. Um, and he was the executive director at the time. And he said, "Well, we're starting this new youth initiative. We want you to come and do it." I said, "No, I think, Sean, that's not me. That's my that's my dad and my granddad's side. I'm I'm a pastor of a local church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Go Canes. Sorry, had to put that in there. And uh, and um but I was like." you know that uh, thank you but no thank you he said well i really think you need to do this and i kept praying about it and I, I felt god was calling me to do it and i didn't want to do it to be honest but i went and uh i preached there in barry we saw tons of people come forward and i was just that god just used as like a hook you know to get me into evangelism but it started there in barry ontario um and um i'm trying to think it was in 2004 okay um, so and they batted on I just went by it a couple years ago just about two years ago I went by and looked into it again they it's a lot bigger now <laughs> a lot smaller then but uh it's a beautiful facility now there in uh Barry I remember
0: I saw uh, a member from DC Talk they had a concert there in Barry Ontario years ago it's a very special place
1: it, it's a it's a beautiful place I mean Canada is such a beautiful country and Barry's right there on that lake and it's a gorgeous place and so I got some wonderful memories there. And Billy Graham has been in Canada many
0: times. I know his big crusade, his big mission happened in Nova Scotia in 1979. And I'm sitting here today because various family members came to Christ in that crusade. Mm-hmm. And and whenever he came on TV, I never listened to the preacher at church. But when he came on TV, I said, there's something special about this guy. I was only about 10 years old. And I thought, well, wow, I can understand a lot of what he's saying. Man. And and I was captivated um, by what he was saying, how he was saying it. And as a teenager, um, I used to record his messages on tapes, if anyone knows what tapes are. Oh, yeah, And I still have them. And um, I saved my money as a teenager to go see Billy. I flew from Halifax to Ottawa for the 1998 crusade. And, and I remember when I flew into Ottawa, they had a big signs everywhere with Billy on it. And the first one that I, that I saw was, he doesn't have all the answers, but he knows who does. Wow. And, and I thought that was an amazing experience.
1: Well, he get, he's got to preach in a lot of places all across Canada, he loved Canada. And uh, we even put an office in Canada. Uh, our first office was in winnipeg okay years and so uh, he had a heart for canada as well he loved canada and maybe that was a lot because of george beverly shea i don't know but uh (laughs) because of that they were in they were in canada often and have wonderful meetings in canada all across the country
0: a special connection indeed i remember um, after i returned from that crusade i started going to crandall university which is our local Christian university and I scanned Billy Graham's picture and my picture together this was before uh phones (laughs) and apps I I put at the bottom of the poster Billy Graham and Jarvis Leper out for morning chat and I put the poster up on the main university doors just to be silly and I got the nickname for the next four years Billy Jr.
1: Billy Jr. (laughs) (laughs) well I hope they didn't teach you too much.
0: (laughs) Anyway, that's my funny moment with, uh, in my past with regards to Billy. Um, well, in Canada and the United States, um, we've lost community more than ever before. And community naturally creates opportunities to share the gospel. You know, back in the 1950s, we used to have front porches on our homes, and now we have back decks we have moved from our front porches to the private retreat of our back decks. How can we recover hospitality so we can share the good news of Jesus?
1: Uh, well, Jarvis, that's a good question. And uh, yeah, things have changed, hasn't it? And it's not, not, and not all of it's necessarily bad. It's just change.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, that just reminds us that we have to be, you know, creative on how we talk to people. You know, we still do activities together. You know, we, we, We'll travel and go see a you know go see a concert somewhere. We'll go see Billy Graham somewhere. We'll go listen to a concert, you know, Michael W. Smith or something, or George Canyon. We'll, since we're talking about Canada or something okay. like that, and um, so we still go travel and do things. So when you're sitting in the car, there's another great opportunity that you can share the gospel. Um, so it, we may not be on our front porches or or even our back porches per se, but we still have opportunities to tell people about Christ. We just have to be a little bit more creative about it and to be more meaningful about it, and um, we are a little bit more s- closed off. We build our walls, we build our fences, and we come home, we go straight into the house, and you know, you don't see that that person until they come out and go to work the next day. Uh, same thing in the United States, and I was certain in Canada as well, um, but there's some really some great opportunities to still talk and have spiritual conversations with people and ask spiritual questions from time to time, uh, but you got to be, you have to be intentional and it's just not going to come by accident. You just have to be intentional. But when you're, when you love the person and I mean that in a, not in a romantic love, but when you really do care for that person, uh, whether it could be a family member or a good friend, when you care for that person, you talk about spiritual things, you can talk and not be judgmental at the same time. It's, you know, it you just got to be intentional about it. And so I think that's what we have to do more of and be intentional we maybe invite people into our homes for dinners and stuff like that. We can um, invite them to Will Graham celebrations if they're in Moncton or wherever. People is that listen. a hint? So, well, <laughs> Lord will willing one day, you know, and uh, um, we just got to be intentional with it. Um, and sometimes uh, I think we lose, we forget that this is one of the most important decisions that anybody can make. And without them making that decision for Christ, they're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. And they don't know that. And so we have an opportunity, matter of fact, where we have a responsibility to tell them about Christ and to give them a chance to give their faith to Christ. Not to hang it over their head or make them feel bad about it, but to you know to help speak truth into their life and to say that Christ is there is a difference with Christ. And, um, you know, and that's when we're wrong, we have to confess it and say, listen, I fell short. I've sinned again. I'm not perfect. You know, and I think that's what happens is we we talk high and mighty so many times, but then they see the hypocrisy in our own life at times, which we all are. Um, we're all sinners still. And but yet we try to ignore it and instead of trying to deal with it and confess it. Uh, we try to hide it. And so we need to be more intentional with, with being open about our sin in the sense of that asking God to forgive us, asking other people for forgiveness if we hurt them. And that will oftentimes give us the opportunity to share, you know, why did you do that? Well, this is, Christ has changed my heart and I shouldn't have done that. And I realized I hurt you in this, you know, and it's a great way to start sharing your faith. And I think you just have to be more intentional. Even as we get more secluded per se, um, it's still an opportunity. People are still broken. They're still looking for answers. So the hunger's still there. We just have to be more intentional.
0: Yeah. Intentional is a key word. And we don't always have a Will Graham celebration to invite people to. So we have to go to the coffee shops, Tim
1: Hortons. Tim Hortons. (laughs) That's right. Your favorite favorite
0: coffee shop.
1: Well, I'm not much of a coffee drinker, but uh, I do like Tim Bits. I do like their donuts. So uh, you'll see me sneaking a donut in my mouth.
0: All right. Will, um, in the US and Canada, we're very similar in many ways. There's a group that identifies as no religion. In the 1970s, in the US, those who identified as having no religion was less than 10%. Today, it's about 30%. And in Canada, 346 percent identify as having no religion. With many of these people, there seems to be an indifference. Somebody wrote, Our greatest enemy is not atheism, but religious indifference. Will, how do we reach out to people who are indifferent, who just don't care uh, what the good news is?
1: Yeah, that's a a good question. And and you're right. It's growing on both sides of the border. I mean, people are just, yeah, I don't care. I'm not into it. Um, They're not necessarily against religion. They're not for religion. I mean, they're just like, leave me out of the argument. And, um, I think there's going to be, then there are very hard people to reach because indifference is a, it's a, a mindset and it's a hard it's a hard place to reach people. That the, what I've noticed in my life is when I have come across people like that, there's usually something that will come up, something that's not good. It, it may be a car accident that kind of grabs their attention, and now they are or a loved one that passed away, and uh, it makes them just start thinking about what's really out after life here on this earth and you use those opportunities not to go bash them on the head or to preach to them but to just start to share and be there with them and um you know and talk about spiritual things that's usually when people really open about spiritual things even though that they don't have a preference they'll start talking about spiritual things you know uh you can ask them simple questions you know was your was your mother a, a believer was she religious in her faith no you know, what do you think You know, she is? right. I mean, you just ask them simple questions, you know, it, it gets them to think. And um, I think that's one of the good ways of helping people that are indifferent. And to be honest, it's the same way for even those who are hostile toward Christianity. Uh, for example, uh, Jarvis, we had a, um, um, we, we, we've we been doing a lot of disaster relief work. And uh, this was, this, this took place in another Commonwealth of Australia, and uh, another place that would be very similar to Canada in the sense of uh, a spiritual growing arts. Yeah, spiritual climate is about the same. Um, the young people are away from it. Older people hang on to it. Um, and they had some great flooding between Queensland and Victoria. And so we went there to work with them. And uh, we show up at this one man house. And he goes, I'm an agnostic. Like the first thing, not hello, how are you guys? Thanks for coming. It was, I'm an agnostic. I'm an agnostic and an agnostic. Is someone that doubts that there is a God, you know, doesn't, he's not an atheist. Uh, not
0: sure if, if he's uh, real or not, not. Sure,
1: Right. He said, but I see what you've been doing in my community. And I've seen how you've been helping people and you guys are the real deal. And you really do care for people. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to allow you to come and help me. I won't see this. There's something different about you. And so it's those moments when a little crisis comes up that we can speak truth into someone's life. Uh, now I don't know if this man came to know Christ or not. Um, but we, the seed has now been planted and, uh, we'll see what takes place. And it may be another, another generation after me that we're going to see a person come to know Christ and, um, someone else is going to lead that man to Christ. I don't know, but that's the, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to we want to plant seeds, and at times, there's going to be a time that we're going to be able to harvest at the same time, and uh, and there's people in all different areas of those walks of faith, and we just got to be faithful in, in reaching those people. Yeah, brokenness can
0: certainly wake us up, and we certainly yeah. need to be praying that the Spirit of God can will invade that heart and wake them up as well. Yeah, So important. Will, in Mark 16, it says, preach the good news to everyone. Is the call to evangelism just for the Graham family, pastors, missionaries, for just the gifted in evangelism, or is the call to everyone?
1: Well, we do not have a patent on on evangelism. (laughs) You know, this is something that's really given to everybody. I mean, the Great Commission is given to every believer that we are to proclaim the good news of Christ and to be his representation here on earth. Even though that we're frail and we're broken people ourselves, but we've received the free gift of salvation, and we gotta let them know about it. And that's our job. We, our job's not to convert anybody, our job's not to save anybody. Our job is to tell people about Christ. We, uh, Will Graham can't save anybody, Jarvis. I can't save anybody. Can't. My granddaddy can't save. I know. Oh, no. I know the Americans. <laughs> the Americans can't do it. You know. You know. But Will Graham can't do it. I can't save anybody. I can't change the human heart. Only God, the creator of the human heart, the creator of Jarvis's heart, Will's heart, only He can change the heart, and um, and so that's why it's. I think it's it's imperative to understand that I can't save it. My job is to proclaim it, to tell people, and uh, it doesn't have to be in front of a stadium or a hockey arena. You know, it can be it can be one on one with your child with a mom, with a sibling, with a neighbor over a cup of coffee at Tim Hortons, you know, you can just have these simple conversations and, uh, and lead people to Christ. Um, you you just mentioned my Christmas tour. I was up in Canada and, uh, and we had a great time. We had Brooke Nicole uh, there from um, the Toronto area and her husband, Steve, uh, they had, their, they brought their little daughter up there to the frozen North too. That I saw
0: awesome. I saw them at the retreat. Yeah. Amazing
1: people. We had George Canyon with us as well. And I would get up there and we would have this Christmas concert. i would get up and preach and invite people to make a decision. And um, we saw a number of people give their life to Christ. But it was interesting on one of these nights, there was a man that got really convicted, but he wouldn't come forward. Uh, I think he got busy doing something else. Someone called him outside, but he wanted to make that decision, but he didn't. And so he tracked me down that night. We were having dinner at a church and he showed up at the church. And so we just sat there and we talked over soup, over a bowl of soup, good soup, by the way. (laughs) And, uh, and we had a conversations about this and I got to lead him to Christ there. So it comes in all different. So you don't have to be in front of a big crowd to tell people about Christ You can be over a bowl of soup and lead people to Christ. We just got to take that time and allow the Holy Spirit to say, you know, we'll go speak to that person. That then we have to go do it i mean we got to go do it though god's told us to go do it because he's already prepped the heart of that individual to make a decision for him he's already been working in that person's life for maybe a couple years people have been planting those seeds and you may be the person that gets to to see that harvest take place and so i want to encourage your listeners man to always be mindful that holy spirit that little voice that says you need to talk to them about jesus and you don't want to you know you know Do it anyway, because God's working in their heart and you're going to see a a new life right there come before your eyes. And that's a great thing.
0: It's a decision you never regret.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And, And I think we need to recover faith at home as well. As parents, sometimes we think, well, the pastor's getting paid, the youth leader's getting paid, let them do it. But, you know, the parent's primary calling is to be witnesses for Jesus. And I think that would recover, I mean... I think we need to practice that so much more in our homes. And I think that that's where the, 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 the crusades are happening right in the homes.
1: Well, it is in every, I mean, I have three children, my primary responsibility is to tell them about Jesus. I mean, I would nurture them. I feed them, of yeah. course. And, uh, but my primary job is to tell them about Christ. I should be leading my kids to Christ. And there, now there's going to be parents that have talked to their kids about Christ and they reject it. I understand that. Yeah. But your job to tell them you can't change their heart, but you can lead them that direction. And uh, you're going to be planting seeds as a parent. If you're a parent, you're going to be planting seeds into that child, whether they come to know Christ under your roof, or they go off to a far off land, bad land like America or something like that. (laughs) And, And they get into all the party scenes and stuff like that, and they ruin their life or something like that. But those seeds are planted. And when the time comes, God's going to start that seed's going to start to grow. And that's what we're going to start to see take place. I think as a parent, we still have that hope, the seeds that were planted, they're going to come alive one day. And uh, so never, ever give up on your kids. Listen, my dad was a prodigal. Billy Graham's two sons were prodigals. I mean, they were rebels. They loved their mom and dad. They did not rebel against their mom and dad. They were rebelling against God. They didn't want anything to do with God. And uh, they wanted to live life to the fullest, you know, sex, drug, alcohol, all that type of stuff. That's what they They saw as fun. And they thought God was going to hamper that. They were prodigals, but they kept praying for their kids. And so my dad was in his 20s before he gave his life to Jesus. And it came out through brokenness. He was just broken. And that's what uh, ended up turning his life around was this brokenness. And he would ask Christ to come in his life and to forgive him. He knew the truth. He just was ignoring God.
0: I had a Scottish professor in Nova Scotia at Acadia Divinity College, and he said, God's grace will keep bugging you until you come back to faith uh, to yeah. get your life right with him. And and we give thanks that the spirit of God keeps, keeps nudging us to come back.
1: He does. He keeps He keeps knocking on the door of our hearts. Yes. <laughs> Remember,
0: mm-hmm. you you probably know the name Ed Stitzer, connected with Wheaton College. Yes. No, and- Ed very well. And uh, he said, many Christians love evangelism
1: as long as someone else is doing it. Yeah. Well, I heard, I heard it another way, even better. I, I like this one. It said, um, it, he was talking to Southern Baptists, uh, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States or the Southern Baptist. Um, but which I'm, I'm a Southern Baptist minister. And so uh, at the Southern Baptist Conference on Evangelism, he said uh, we have perfected the art of strutting while sitting down you know and that's how we do our evangelism we talk a big game but we don't do it oftentimes like Ed Stetcher said as long as someone else is doing it we're fine with it but it's really for everybody to do and especially moms and dads
0: absolutely
1: well what is the
0: goal of evangelism
1: well the purpose of evangelism is to is to tell the good news that's literally what it means is to proclaim the good news and what is the good news? You know, uh, that Christ came to redeem sinners, to save sinners. I'm a sinner. Will Graham's a sinner. And um, and so God, that's what God came to do to rescue all of mankind. So the goal of evangelism is, like I said, we can't save anybody. The goal of evangelism to let people know that there is a God who loves them, who died for them and uh, wants to come into their life and change their life and to take their brokenness and give them purpose and meaning in life. And so I tell people that's the goal of evangelism is to let that person know that. Um, we we hope that they receive it and come to know Christ, but I can't change the heart. My responsibility as an evangelist is to proclaim that good news to the best of my ability with the Lord's anointing and to tell people about Christ, but I can't change the heart. And But I would love to see people come to know Christ, but that's God's responsibility is to change the heart. My job is to proclaim that truth, and so that's all we have to do, my friends. We have to proclaim that truth. Uh, we can't change hearts. I can't call people under conviction. That's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. That's His responsibility, and uh, my job is to just to proclaim it. Be faithful in that, and do the best I can in communicating that truth in a way that people can understand it. Um, that's winsome, you know. That's that they can understand and and desire to have that but at the end of the day god has to change the heart and that sinner has to come under repentance i just want to point them to jesus there's the man who changed my life he's the one that can change your life as well and uh, there he is his name's jesus and he's waiting on you and that's the goal of evangelism just to point people to jesus
0: absolutely and it's hard it's not always easy
1: it's, it's... well it's uh it can be we can do it in some hard places um, and sometimes but i it's easy to talk about someone who you love, you know, and if you love your kids, it's easy to talk about your kids. If you love your wife, it's easy to talk about your wife. If, if you love the maple leaves, it's easy to talk about the maple leaves. It's if it's easy. I mean, you, you, you'll talk about the things you love. And if you love Christ, it's going to be easy for you because it's going to come out naturally, you know, and, and, uh, I'm not saying I'm always like that. Trust me. I'm not like that all the time. Um, but I try to be bold at times because I know that sometimes I'm uh, I want to steer away from things from time to time in my frailty. And that's when I just say, God, give me the boldness to proclaim the, the truth right now uh, when it's not going to be popular. I'm not going to have any people here that's going to like it, <laughs> but I got to be bold with it. And you know, so help me proclaim it and uh, but doing it in a loving way. Sure. I know somebody said, did you ever know a
0: teenager who dated someone you didn't like? And you try to talk to your teenager about leaving that relationship. And how did that go? You know, yeah. it, it, it's a challenge. Evangelism is joyful and exciting in one respect, but it's also hard because you're asking people to change their beliefs. You're asking people to change. You're going this direction and now you're going this direction yeah. And and people can be very hesitant and skeptical with that. And it's, Some of those conversations are a challenge.
1: Well, Um, and and Satan has a, I mean, he has a strong power in this world. I mean, he, he can, he can give you the love of this world. There's a lot of things to love in this world, but the problem is they all fall flat. They don't satisfy us. And that's what Christ can. He can satisfy the one thing that we're looking for that no one else can give, not even Satan himself can give it to us. And that's peace with God. And so that's what we're looking for in life and everything else starts to flow from that. And, um, but it is, we, there's a long, there's a, there's a huge tug in this world trying to pull people away from God. That's what Satan wants. He'll use sex, money, drugs, alcohol, uh, fame, um, peer pressure, anything to pull you away from God. Um, but, and there's, um, there's a danger in following that. And that's why we've got to warn kids, you know, uh, to, to follow Christ and not to follow the things of the world. They'll leave them flat.
0: And I find today that when we're communicating, um, especially with younger people, we have to almost define our terms. Like I I remember talking to a youth about the resurrection and they they said, what's the resurrection? Or even God, we have to define who God is because there's so many definitions out in the world about who God is. And and I think we have to find our language that meets them where they're at and, and present to them the gospel. Have you had experiences where you've had to rethink, oh, wait, I can't use those words. Let me use these words to
1: communicate. Yeah, it is. Uh, one of the hardest places to, for me to preach, that is, is um, uh, is in Japan. Uh, Japan's probably one of the toughest places to preach the gospel. And it's because there's some words that you cannot use. And what I mean is they, they don't have a concept of God. Right. They do not have a concept of sin. So, and that, that's a part of the Christian message or those, those two things are pretty. <laughs> so, so how do you talk about these things? Well, the one thing that they do understand and they know very, very well is a concept of brokenness. And they see that the world is broken. They see that their own life is broken. Matter of fact, I, I think there's an average of four people committing suicide by standing in front of a train, those super fast trains. Uh, I think they average four a day. people in japan dying in front of a train um because of hopelessness their lives are broken so it's something that they're very very familiar with is the word brokenness and so when i'm in japan that's what i focus on i talk about brokenness they can translate it it's uh easy to understand they comprehend it but when you start talking about god they don't they don't really have a god they believe in spirits but it's different um um, and then they don't have a word for sin. Matter of fact, if you use the word sin, it's um, they try to translate it like bank robber. So okay. you're a sinner, and they'll translate you're a bank robber, and they're like, no, I'm not. You know, so I guess this message doesn't apply to me. You know, so you're saying we we've, we've broken God's laws, we've disobeyed. They understand disobedience. They understand about breaking laws, but you just can't use certain words like sin, and so you have to use uh, in context, especially when you're preaching cross cultural areas uh, you have to understand some of that and I've had wonderful Christians over there that helped me to understand that I don't know all this stuff I'm an American <laughs> you know like we're like the most uneducated people in the world sometimes I think sometimes and um, and so I've had wonderful Christian you know leaders in these different countries that come and talk to me they go over my sermons with me and talk about certain ideas I'd go over my illustrations you know see if that illustration can work here if not how do I change it and so I'm, I rely on a lot of good other Christian pastors around the world to help me to communicate that truth.
0: I'm sure Billy Graham struggled with that too. Cause I remember he preached in South Korea in front of that huge audience, what one point three?
1: Yeah, 1.3 1. Million. 1 million people, 1.1 1. 1 million people in one day.
0: And, and I'm sure they had to look at their language and to find out how they presented that to make sure people got that, that, well, that.
1: that guy's name was Billy Kim. He was the translator. Uh, Billy Kim's still alive. Matter of fact, I got a letter from him uh, yesterday. Uh, wonderful man. He was the greatest. Of, uh, he was the greatest interpreter my grandfather ever had. He watched my granddaddy's videos, and if, if my granddaddy raised his hand, he would raise his <laughs> hand. If Billy Graham pointed low, he would point low, and he used the same inflections. Matter of fact, the U.S. soldiers that were still stationed there, the U.S. soldiers, they came and said, "Man." That guy is an incredible preacher. And Billy Graham's doing a good job interpreting for him. They <laughs> thought Billy Graham was the interpreter because the other guy had just as much zeal. And, uh, you know, it was a full, it was a big Korean, uh, obviously a huge Korean uh, gathering there uh, with a Korean interpreter. Uh, but the local soldiers, American soldiers, they thought that Billy was the interpreter for this uh, evangelist. And so there was faithful men like Billy Kim uh, that helped my granddaddy. Uh, to preach. And I think uh I think Billy, Billy Kim that is, he said that my granddaddy made a mistake or something, said something that was wrong. <laughs> and he fixed it, you know, before it got out. And that's part of the evangel that part of the interpretive thing, like I may say something wrong, like I, I mixed up my words or something like that. But because of his awareness, he he fixed it before it got to, you know, got to everybody else out there. So uh, um billy kim was telling my dad that story the other day when he was here in in our country the other day and so he's a wonderful man great guy uh he's probably most he's the closest person like my grandfather than anybody else in this world his his name's billy kim is he still preaching in south korea yes he he does a lot by radio going in korea going into china really that's his ministry Called the Far the Far East Broadcasting Company, the FEBC, and uh, he runs that. Um, but he's an incredible evangelist. He's he's old, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think I don't know how old. Maybe he's eighties. Okay. And uh, but sh- still going hard at it. And he's like wow. he's like a little general over there, man. And uh, but uh, he does. Uh, everybody respects him, um, and they appreciate Billy Kim. So. That's what happens when God goes before you. God gives you favor. And that's what I've been praying for in my life. God, give me favor before God and with man. Just like uh, Jesus did, grew in stature and had favor both with God and with man. And that's what I've been praying for my own life. God, give me favor with God and with man uh, so I can communicate the truth of Jesus Christ.
0: Absolutely. Well, when we use the word evangelism, with most Christians under the age of 50, there seems to be an allergic reaction to the word. They're not against their friends coming to know Jesus, but there is this hesitancy, this reaction with the word evangelism. You know, people seen door-to-door evangelism, and they look at, they think about people standing on the streets, and they they get terrified of the word evangelism when they think about that stuff. Um, Why are so many people... Are there other reasons why people are terrified of evangelism, scared of it?
1: Yes. Um, I think a lot of times people are, they start thinking about their own feelings. What happens if they don't come to know Christ? That's not my job. My job to tell them about Jesus. God's got to convict them of their sin. God's got to convict them of righteousness. God's got to convict them of judgment. That's God's responsibility. My job is to simply tell them. And so oftentimes when people, you hear that say, then I think what happens is, is that they put the pressure on themselves. You know, they expect them to be changing this person. Our job is simply to tell with Christ. And um, I think when we start thinking that it's all about us doing it, I think that's where we get a misconception there. Our job is to tell people about Christ. And listen, there's times I've been, I didn't want to do it. And I give an example of this. Uh, it's when my, uh, my wife, Kendra and I, we've been, we'll be married 25 years this year. And about 27 years ago, when we were dating, we came to visit my grandparents here in the mountains of North Carolina. We were students at Liberty University. So I had to get back to Liberty. Both of us did. We had visited my grandparents. Now we're heading back home or back to Lynchburg, that is. And as we're going, we stopped to get some gas. And I was getting gas in this little gas station, not far from here, I was filling up my car. And uh, God said, and, and they made the comment this, this couple, there was a couple in front of me at the cash register and they made a comment like, man, nothing's free anymore. Now they weren't saying it mean to the cashier. It's like they needed air for their tire. It was going to cost a dollar or something or, do, you know, cost a 25 cents or something. They said, man, nothing's free anymore. And the Holy spirit said, tell them about today, you know, tell them about Easter. It was Easter day tell them about Easter, you know, tell them that's free. I paid the price. It's free. And I'm like, nah. you no, know, no, I didn't want to. Mm-mm. I didn't want to. No, nah. they're going to think I'm listening to their conversation, which I was, <laughs> you know, what are they going to say? And I remember I chickened out because I made it about my feelings and whether they're going to think if, if they're going to think I was overhearing their conversation. And so I was more worried about myself than them. And that's the problem. When we're more worried about ourselves than that other person, that's the problem. Because we don't care about their eternal destiny. We don't care that they're on their way to hell. We don't care if they know about Christ. We care about how we feel, how we're going to look. And I think that's where a lot of people fall into that category, is that we're afraid of how we're going to be rejected or accepted. And, um, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on us in, in a wrong way. Our job is to tell people about Christ and to do it in a, in a winsome way, you know, a loving way, not disrespecting, not trying to talk trash to another person, but uh, tell them about Christ and how Christ can change your life. And, uh, and when we put our focus on God instead of ourselves, it goes a lot better.
0: And I, and I know some people are turned off of evangelism because they've seen abuses done, shoving it down people's throats or manipulating mm-hmm. the conversation. like, You know, someone might say to a friend, oh, you're eating Greek food. You know, I know a guy named the Apostle Paul traveled around Greece talking about Jesus. Since we're on the topic of Jesus, can I tell the gospel? You know, I think we need to let those conversations be natural, intentional, but natural um, and in our conversations with evangelism. Because I think sometimes we try to drag Jesus into conversations he doesn't want to be in. (laughs)
1: that's a bridge too far sometimes you know we yeah but I I will say this one thing and there's you're right I'm not I'm not I'm not going to argue this one but I've seen one guy do it do it that way that's my father Franklin Graham
0: yeah
1: I mean it's the best and he's not really talking to an individual he's talking to a camera because he'll be down there my dad runs an organization called the well he runs the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association he runs also Samaritan's Purse which is in Canada as well. And we help minister to these people in times of disaster. So a lot of times, like during hurricane season, we're down in the Caribbean helping poor communities start to rebuild. We're usually the first people on the ground at any situation. Dad wants, Franklin Graham wants Christians to be the first ones on the scene, you know, be the first ones down there to help people. And and so because of that, we'll have a lot of people like CNN, Fox News, uh, I don't know how if Canadians make it down there or not, but they'll come up with their microphones. And my dad's down there, you know, working. And, you know, Franklin, why are you down here? And so he's on national television. And they say, Franklin, it looks hot down there. You know what? It sure is hot. But let me tell you what's hotter. Hell. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, within 10 seconds, he went this way and went back that way. And dad does it because he's not speaking to one individual, he's speaking to everybody. But God, my dad's not asking for interviews. He's not, they come to him asking for interviews. So God, my dad says, if if they want to interview me, I'm gonna talk about Jesus. That's the only thing that's worth talking about. And um, you know, he'll talk a little bit about, about the work that's going on, but he'll get straight to the cross and how people need a savior and that Jesus Christ is willing to save them of their sins. He says it's just free advertising. They're, I mean, they're giving me free opportunity to tell the whole country about Jesus Christ. I'm gonna take advantage of it. So I understand what you're saying, and this is one of the few times I see my dad who takes whatever they're talking about and within about five, 10 seconds, he makes a hard, you know, right turn going toward uh, Jesus Christ because dad wants to point people to Jesus. In other words, he believes that God's given him this opportunity on national TV to make that decision. But when you're right, but when you're talking about, like in that one-on-one conversations, you you need to make it, you got to know when to talk about it, you need to have let the Holy Spirit speak to you, when to speak up, and then when to be quiet. Sometimes we need to do more listening than we do talking sometimes.
0: Yeah, I remember the Apostle Paul, he said, make the most of every opportunity, That's right. not to manipulate it or be That's forceful. Right. We all agree, don't shove it down people's throats. But you want to maximize that conversation as much as possible with gentleness and respect. as yeah, we,
1: Meekness, he called it, meekness. Yeah. Exactly right and uh you know there's you just have to be sensitive allow the holy spirit to guide that conversation and it may not come up that night it may come out the next night though and uh, but you may say something that just pricks us pricks that other person's heart in a good way yeah made them think about something like man i need to i need to figure this out in my own life and uh then that next conversation is where it's going to start coming from and so that's Always have those good conversations because we love people. We care about their life. We care about what's going on in their home. We care about their marriages. We care about things. And so those things should concern us too. And But also their spiritual life should be a concern. And, um, you know, uh, but never but, give up on people. That's for yeah. sure.
0: Eter- uh, life is short. Eternity is long. And, and that's, we need to have eternity. You know, our our world just looks at life like this. Yeah. They don't see beyond there and we need to introduce them to the fact that you know life goes on forever and that's right will you be with Jesus. A few weeks ago I was talking to someone and they said and I've heard it many times over the years you have you as well faith is a private matter. In other words, be quiet, don't talk to me about it. Yeah. Um is faith a private matter?
1: Uh it, it this is it's a tricky question. Yes and no. Yes, you have to make the decision yourself. If you're going to ask Christ to come into your life, someone else cannot do it for you. I can't be up on a platform say, "Here, you know, now receive Christ." It's no, you're going to have to invite Christ to come into your life. So it it is a personal. uh, Maybe that's a different word than private, but it's it's a personal decision. But it's also a public thing um It's not something that we hide behind, but every person that Jesus called, He called publicly, and so there is a public element about this. Um, I think we start to, and I think in our world today, it gets really—I call it mumbo jumbo. It, it gets in that gray area, especially when it comes to politics, especially in our country in the U.S. I, I think more so than the, the Canadians. I—I I don't. I'm not an expert on Canadian politics or canadian culture and politics or christianity and politics but here in america we there's a big mix of the two Yes, and uh that's where a lot of people start to they won't draw that line right and um because they said well that, you, you're getting into my private life you know stay out of it well it it is private it, i mean this is a private choice you have to make and uh but yet it's supposed to live it's supposed to be meant to we live public lives yeah even though we're private we still live public lives. We still go to the grocery store. We still go to town. We still open our mouth uh, to communicate with people. Uh, we write things. we send emails. That's all that all becomes public in a sense that it's it's out there. Yes. and so um it's to me, it's a both and. It is a private decision. It is a private matter, but at the same time, it it's meant to be shared, which makes it public,
0: yeah. I think you can say personal faith is never a private faith. It's always lived out in the context of God's people and with the world that God's love. I remember telling people, if you discovered a cure for cancer, what would you do with it? Would you keep it to yourself or would you tell the world about it?
1: Yeah, the, that's a great analogy right there. That's a perfect analogy. You know, th- and there's, there's hurting people. You're not going to help them. You know, we're trying to help people.
0: I remember your dad, uh, not your dad, your grandfather uh, gave free copies of Eugene Peterson's The Message Out. Uh, when I was a teenager and I thought I want to read God's word in modern language. And I remember reading in the message that God's word is not how did how did that say it? Um God is not a secret to be kept.
1: You know, say that again. God was not
0: Oh in the message um the translation says God is not a secret to
1: be kept. Oh yeah. Exactly. And uh I mean why this is good news. <laughs> That's your analogy of, you know, I found the cure of cancer. That's a perfect analogy. we got to share that. It's not meant yeah. to be hell. I mean, we're going to, are we going to stand before God and say, how come you didn't tell Jarvis about Jesus? How come you didn't tell Susie about, uh, Jesus? You know, you, Hey, I gave you every opportunity, you know, and, um, we're going to have to give an account for that one day of the people that we didn't tell. Yeah. And we're responsible for that. And, uh, because God told us to, and we didn't do it. And he laid it on our heart to do it, but we, we we're more worried about ourselves or what they might think of us and, instead.
0: Good word. Well, some people try to spiritualize evangelism. Oh, just pray for people and hope they'll get saved. And we need to pray, but we also need to use our words. Other people will say, well, I just need to use my actions in my faith journey. I don't need to use words. Yes, faith has action. And there are times where action is just required, but there are times we need to use our words. Mark 16 says, preach the good news. Does the gospel need to be spoken to be understood?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, um, um, You know, people say, well, always preach the gospel. And if you have to use words, we've heard that. Uh, That is dead wrong. (laughs) God told us to preach the good news. That means to use it to communicate. Use words. Um, people say, "Well, I'm just going to live a good life," and they'll see for my good life. The problem is, you'll never live a good enough life to save anybody. Only one person lived a good enough life to save anybody. His name's Jesus. And that's why we got to tell people about Jesus. And uh, the gospels meant to use words. God gave us vocabulary. He gave us words. He gave us the ability to communicate and to tell people about Him. And, uh, now do you, do you, should you live a good life? Yes, absolutely. It backs up what you're saying. When we live, when we tell people about Jesus and we live that good life, it backs up what we're saying. But if you try to put it the other way around, say, well, I'm just going to live a good enough life. And one day they're going to come and ask me about Jesus. No, they won't. You know, uh, good chance. They'll never ask you about it because they don't know about Jesus. They don't know that that you even know him that's why you got to come and talk to them about Jesus. And, um, yes, you got to have a good life because you're, it backs up what you're saying. Yes. We have to use words.
0: And if we never speak the gospel, someone might just consider us a good Buddhist or a good Hindu.
1: That's right. I mean, it just, or, or good atheist, I guess, you (laughs) know, I don't, you know, but I mean, if we really believe in Christ, we got to be, telling people about Christ and and living the life that he's called us to live. Uh, and that backs it up. And it's the proof that we are a changed person. We're not like that. But, you know, that's what's great to see these people that come to know Christ maybe later in their life. They lived one way, like the world. You know, they slept around, did drugs, wh- whatever. And then they come to know Christ and they're a totally different person. You know, a great Christian apologist, Lee Strobel. A lot of people know Lee yes, Strobel. Sir. Lee Strobel was a—he would call himself an atheist, Atheist. and he was going to prove that God did not exist, you know, and God was a fabrication, and uh, he—he had some of the worst foul mouth, I believe, and uh, and uh, he was—I mean, he was notorious for that. But when he gave his life to Christ, all that changed, right? And someone that he knew from a long time ago, but now he's a Christian or Lee's a Christian his language has changed and they recognize that like there's something different about this guy he's not like that anymore like what happened you know they and so that what i'm saying that changed life so that what lee was telling that guy it it is true that's what changed my life it can change their life too and so um i think it was lee strobel um i know he's an atheist but i'm trying to think if it's the right if i got the right person in story if not it's a good illustration (laughs) it it, it works it works a friend
0: a friend of mine said it's like we've all reverted to being toddlers when it comes to evangelism. You know, I remember our kids at a younger age sitting at the table and sometimes they would hold out a dish or their hands to ask for food. They wouldn't use words, but they would use the dish to say, I want food. And as parents, we would have to say, use your words, use yeah. your words. And the gospel needs to be spoken. And because we have the most amazing message to share.
1: Yeah, gospel needs words and that needs a holy life to show the proof of it and uh, that we are changed. And that's why it's important the way we behave, too, because we're our actions oftentimes do speak louder than our words, but uh, there's not a replacement for our words. Yes. Yeah,
0: we certainly need the the love component. I know First Peter 315, always be ready to give an answer, but we sometimes forget the second part. Um, do it with gentleness and respect. Um, we can scrap the first part of this verse if we're not living the second part, the loving part. And the way we, the way we say things is so important. The way we love is so important on our journey.
1: It is, you know. And I think when you can sit down there and you can cry with your neighbor, let's say they, the neighbor lost a child, yeah, lost a spouse, and you go over there and you weep with them uh that's that type of love and respect that you have that person and you may not talk to them that day about christ but that's your opportunity into their life to start sharing about christ um you know hey i know you're gonna bury your husband let me tell you about jesus no but that may not be the right time you gotta listen to the holy spirit but at the same time that's that that's that love that you just talked about that genuineness that love that respect that gentleness and meekness yeah and uh, we got to bring that into that conversation eventually but that's when you sit there and you can cry and you have that burden for that person and you love that person regardless if they ever come to know christ you just love that person yeah you know that you, you that, that's a special person to you and it may be a loved one it may be a family member i mean you know it could be a friend but you love that person like it's you know your own flesh and blood and that's why we got to be that's why we got to win these people to christ and. um but we've got to do it with gentleness and meekness, that's for sure.
0: I remember hearing years ago that we cannot hate people and reach people at the same time. But but let love be dominant in, in everything. Will, someone was sharing with me um, that when they fish, they use different baits to catch fish. Maybe you do some fishing in Alaska when you go there. Um, we need to be using different baits when fishing for people. Paul said um, that he was all things to all people. What are some different baits we can use uh, when sharing our faith? We well, talked about love, obviously, but what comes to your mind when you're thinking about the different baits to use? I know um, your grandfather was talking about baits in this old book. I brought it with me. My mother gave it to me when I became a Christian. Do you recognize you, that one? You just do your questions. How about that? <laughs> and And I was That's looking... Cool. He was talking about baits in one section, and he said, here's an example of a bait. When I was younger, something happened in my heart that changed me forever. And he said, Billy said, this will cause the other person to ask, you know, why did you change? Um, What comes to your mind when you think about bait when, when talking to others? What are those things that we can throw out there that's attractive?
1: I think one of the things that's predominant in my mind uh, or I think it's because of the work of Samaritan's Purse with my dad and stuff like that, helping people in need. Yes. And uh, when you go there and you help rebuild their home, help mud them out, um, help them go through the ashes after a fire, whatever it might be. And when you're standing there and you're you're taking time out of your own schedule and they don't know you from Adam. I mean, you've come out of nowhere. And you're helping them for free. You're not asking for anything, and um, all of a sudden they say, "So why are you here helping me? <laughs> you know, why are you? You know, you're from North Carolina. Why are you here in Australia helping me? You know, or why? I'm. You're from North Carolina. You're down here in Texas. Why are you helping me? You know, I don't go to church. You know, I don't believe in God. Why are you helping me? It, you've automatically earned the right to tell them about Christ." And they'll actually listen. Now, they may not agree with you. They may not accept it, but they listen. And uh, so sometimes our, our work, those good works that we do. Opens well, the door. Opens the door. Here's another example. Uh, during COVID, uh, COVID had shut down most of the, the country at this time uh, in the United States and Canada as well. And uh, New York was hit very hard. The governor's office called my dad and said, can you come and help us? We need a field hospital up here our hospitals are being overrun we could use some help so my dad said sure we'll come and they put us in central park i mean they put us right across from the hospital inside of central park new york and so we're out there and new yorkers are could be some tough people now they love their people they love people uh but when it comes to religion sometimes they're they hate religion and, uh, and they hate, they didn't like my dad, but here's the thing. One of these guys was, uh, proclaimed to be an atheist. He hates Christians. He hates everything, but he said, these people are coming to risk their lives to save us. New Yorkers. He said, I'm going to go down there and volunteer, <laughs> you know, you know, now I don't know if this person ever came to know Christ. He was a huge critic of my dad, but he said, these people are risking their lives because this is in the middle of COVID, the first few months of COVID. And um, they're risking their lives to come and save us. He said, I'm going to go down there and volunteer, you know, help put out mulch and put up a fence around the compound and stuff like that. And so New Yorkers came out in droves to help. And not all of them were like him. Um, But he he was always honest about that. I I remember that. He said, there's something different about these people. And it's because we were doing something for nothing in return. We were doing something good. And I think for me, I think that's one of the greatest baits is you could help someone do something uh, that's in great need. And they'll sit there and they'll listen, you know, why are you helping me? But to be honest, I, I tell people, and and I'm not trying to contradict you here, but I, I tell people the gospel doesn't need bait. There's power in the gospel. And uh, now you're talking about trying to find out that opportunity. What's the bait to get that opportunity? Yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Uh, But that's the beauty of it. There's power in the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for there is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is supernatural power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can change lives. And so uh, we look for the opportunities to not to take advantage of people like you said before is to take advantage of the opportunity and so when there are those disasters in people's lives whether it's man-made whether it's uh, just natural passing of time or or um you know if it's you know a natural disaster or something we can use those opportunities to tell people about jesus christ and so i've seen that probably more than just because of the nature of our ministry. I see that a lot. And so anytime where the Samaritan's Purse goes, we have Billy Graham chaplains going there. And all their job to do is to pray with the individuals in those communities and just to pray with them. And we see so many people come to know Christ. Now we'll pray with, I'm just making up numbers here. We'll pray with 10,000 people in this one community. And we'll have uh, 300 decisions for Christ, you know, you know, so not everyone's come to know Christ. Some know Christ already. Some don't want to do anything. But there was 300 that said, you know what? Yes. And I met one of these ladies down in uh, um, the Fort Myers area just a couple of days ago. We went down there to have a Christmas dinner with everybody that had been hurt by the storm, the homeless down there and stuff like that and have a Christmas dinner down there in Fort Myers. And uh, there was this Jewish lady and um, she didn't know about Jesus. And uh, her home was, was you know, torn up pretty bad. And so Samaritan's Purse down there was working, but our chaplains just started speaking to her and end up leading her to Christ. And now she's like the, I mean, she's going everywhere. This This, they told me about a man who changed my life. Now, let me tell you about him. I mean, she's going around telling people about Jesus. And it's just so neat to see how God can take something bad like a storm and use it for his good to lead people to Christ. And I think that we can see that in so many more opportunities if we just take the willingness to share the good news.
0: God works in all things. He does. Absolutely. With regards to questions, I remember I went to a Billy Graham School of Evangelism. I think it was 2006 in St. Andrews. And the speaker said something I never forgot. He said that Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospels and and that reminded me that that's another approach to evangelism is asking questions yeah. to make people think about where they stand. Yeah. You know, 50 years ago, people would ask the question, if you were I mean, there's it can still be used, but you you heard it more long time ago, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? But there's a lot of people especially in Canada that don't even believe in heaven or hell. Today our audience has changed, our culture has changed. We live in Canada, in a post-Christian country, Christians once had massive cultural power. Now we seem to have lost it. People's minds are on different topics. What questions do we need to ask non-believers in a post-Christian world?
1: Well, that's good. You could probably come up with better ones than I can. You know? Oh, you're the expert. No, I'm <laughs> far from any expert. <laughs> you're the first one that's going to think an American's an expert. No. <laughs> um you know, what are some of those questions? Um, you know, I think, um, I, I still think some of the ones that you just said, I think they're always poignant. You just got to do them at the right time, I think. Yeah. Um,
0: I think a pilot yeah. in the New Testament, he asked the question, what is truth? truth? And maybe that can be a starting point for people. What's truth? And that opens up the conversation.
1: Yeah. It, and, I've, and matter of fact, that's one I have used. matter of fact, this past uh, Easter, that's what I preached on, what is truth? from the words of Pilate, it's um especially in the world today they believe that there is no truth right everything's relative your truth and you hear this all the time well that's your truth that's not my truth steal their wallet and say is that true Mm, (laughs) that's right i mean and you can easily start arguing that i mean it's not a hard right you know it's not it's an easy thing to you know to tear down (laughs) excuse me you know 2 plus 2 is 4 it's not 8 you know we can come up with some simple things like that you know the tr- there's got to be some type of truth otherwise we can't even communicate and i think that's what one of the problems that we're facing in our country today words don't have meaning anymore
0: mm.
1: you know we've watered down even our words you know that it's getting hard to even to communicate what you know um what vowels are or or what verbs are and stuff like that we fight over that now we're fighting over gender um, we're fighting over other things because there's confusion on that level, on the idea of truth. And so I think what you just talked about right there—that's a huge one, especially in our world today. Uh, what is truth? And um, you know, you know, if it's true for you, then it, it, that's not my truth. You know, it's we get into this relativism, and so that's a—it's one of those things that we can easily talk about. Um, it's easy to get wrapped up in circles in that one. I, I will say yeah. that.
0: I find the other question that's helpful is what brings you hope? Just a simple starting point. Yeah. And I think that can open up the door to sharing our faith as well.
1: Yeah. Or yeah. And I I've I've used um, so what are you looking for in life then? You know, what's the end game? What what's the part that, you know, what's what's the end of your life gonna look like? Yes. And um I'm hope I'm happy. Or are you happy now? I mean, what what's the end game here? And so uh is is happiness all that you want? I mean, I mean, we all want happiness, but what does that look like, you know, and they can't, and that's where I see people struggling, trying to, and so then I start talking about, or what's the purpose of life? Why even keep going? If you can't find what you're looking for, why keep going? You know, what's that purpose, you know? And so I find that purpose and meaning are, uh, are some of those things that tugs on people's hearts and in their minds because they're longing for that, especially for young generations right now because they're saying to themselves, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. Mm. Is this it? You know, what, what, why am I, why am I stuck on this earth right now? What's my purpose here? And so I think it's one of those things that, um, when you start talking about purpose and meaning, I think that's another one of those things that can really tug on people's hearts uh, and their minds too. And, uh, we can start directing spiritual conversations as well. I use purpose and meaning a lot.
0: Okay. Okay just a few more questions. Your grandfather was a shepherd to millions and millions presidents from Truman to Obama. What was Billy Graham's best advice to you with
1: regards to evangelism? Yeah, that was easy. Pray, pray, (laughs) pray. And that's the bedrock. We've got to add, this is God's work. I can't change people's lives. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we go before God and say, God, just give us favor with, with you and with man. Help us proclaim the faith. And Lord, we pray that many will come to know christ uh, through the preaching of the gospel and so um and i've I've learned a couple other things from my granddad but prayer 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 by far that's the best advice my granddaddy ever gave me and anybody else did he say study
0: study study too
1: nope 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 (laughs) (laughs) and uh, now i will say this he would never neglect study yeah um but he understood it wasn't his studying that changed people's lives; it was the power of God that changed lives, yeah. and that's why we pray, and uh, prayer's got to be the bedrock of it. And uh, he also gave me the advice that you know I need to um, read my. He he said, "Well, I wish I knew the Bible as well as your grandmother." I guess um, that's
0: studying. That's why I said study, yeah. study, study. Yeah. And
1: so the, yeah, and so he would now he believed in that. So don't. That's why I'm not but the number one pray, 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 pray. Yeah. Uh, but he said, I wish I knew God's word as good as your grandmother. Uh, the, the third thing was uh, and this was to me, not necessarily an evangelism, but he said, uh, he said, um, you need to, um, he, he said, well, I wish I hadn't spoke as much as I did. He said, I wish I did more of my preaching, you know, like the crusades and stuff like that. That's fine. But to go out and do all these other speaking engagements, he said he wished he did less le- less of it uh, because it took him away from his family. And it was things that, you know, sometimes it was things that weren't important to him. Um, and he looks back at that as one of his regrets in life that he did too much other public speaking rather than just preaching the gospel like in a crusade. He said, I wish I'd done more. To be honest, I wish he got, he goes, I wish I did spend more time on my knees and less preaching. I could accomplish so much more, and so that goes back to that first thing, prayer, and uh, I remember that. I'll never forget that, and I'm here to tell you, I fail at it still. You know, uh, where do you ever get to a point in life I've prayed enough, and matter of fact, I think sometimes in my life, I look back and I said, man, I prayed." I feel like I'm praying less, and it shouldn't be. I mean, we should go to the Lord with everything on our heart, you know, and beg Him to see people come to know Christ. Lord, help me to communicate to Sally, my next door neighbor, help me to tell Sally about Jesus. Lord, help me tell about my my brother John about Jesus. Show me, Lord, how to communicate and connect with them. You know, on that subject, and give me an opportunity, Lord, to preach that to you know to tell them to tell them about that. So, uh, prayer is the number one thing. I, I can prayer, 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 and then uh, we can say study one time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I thought I heard him say study, study, study at one point, but you're the grandfather, uh, uh, grandson. So I'm not going to challenge that.
1: So I've, ne- I've never heard him say study, 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 but I've heard him say prayer, prayer, prayer. Yes. At absolutely. least a, to me.
0: Awesome. Well, th- that's a uh, great words, a uh, great practice to pass along. You know, the apostle Paul said that we are co-laborers. Uh, that we work with uh, the Holy Spirit to uh, to touch people's lives. That's right. Almost to the end here, um, the new normal is constant change. Like when we think about the digital world, Billy Graham used all sorts of digital platforms to share the gospel any means possible. And I know, Will, you appeared in the movie uh, Path to Redemption um, that highlighted the life of Louis Zambrini, the Olympian and World War II hero. And, and you played Billy Graham. Mm-hmm what was that experience like?
1: Well, you know, I'm retired. I retired at the peak. (laughs) (laughs) I did my one movie and I retired. Um, you know, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, I definitely was not comfortable doing it. Um, the movie was well done. It was well written. Um, all my lines came from my granddad's sermons from 1949. Yeah, no, they weren't in order and we took lines from different things trying to because of the movie right. trying to focus it on louis Zamperini's life um but uh it was an incredible opportunity it's not something i wanted to do it's not something i i want to do again um i, I, I felt like a fish out of water um, but i had a chance to i mean i got to preach there, there's a part in the movie that's not in there and what they were doing they were just trying to get me to they wanted like hand motions. Like I was preaching. They didn't, they they didn't have to put a microphone on me. All right. And they're going behind me with the video camera. They just want to see the audience of me, you know, preaching and stuff like that. And they said, well, you don't need to do anything. Just make some gestures. They could have did the voiceover. Well, I was like, well, I can't, I can't just move my arms without preaching. I mean, it's, it's gotta be natural, right? I just can't just dance with my arms out there. And so I actually, I preached and I preached stinking hard. And I mean, th- this is no script. I just went to straight gospel, you know, just let them have it. And um, and because I figured this may be the only time that they'll hear the real message of the cross and I'm going to give it to them. And it's not I didn't have a microphone on in that sense. They just heard me in the in the in the tent right there. But um, the, the, the producer, uh, great guy. Um, he, he's a Jewish man. He's become one of my good friends. I love his. Uh, he's he always speaks truth into me. Um, he helps me inside what understand Hollywood things that I see coming in the movies. I ask him about, so he's someone, if I see something in the movies, like what, what's, what's going on in this, you know, or something like that. He'll get, he'll tell me the backstory on something. Um, the, the, uh, director I've kept in touch. I need to get up with him again. He's a great guy, Harold Cronk. And, um, he just wonderful people, and um it was a great experience but it's not something i want to do again (laughs) so there was another movie made about
0: his life and and i think angelina jolie made it i think yes this the second one was made was the second one made to highlight the salvation aspect of his life yes
1: Yes. and it's done by the same it's done by the same movie group okay had the same producer Um, but different directors angelina jolie did the first one it's called unbroken Uh, the second one's unbroken path to redemption okay and so it had the same producer and he wanted to tell the whole story and he had worked on this for years decades trying to get this movie made and it wasn't until laura hildenbrand wrote her book unbroken that really gave it the where hollywood said hey we we probably should do a movie Mm -hmm. on this now Even though he had known about this story for a long time, and so he got to run with it, and uh, he loved uh, Louis Zamperini, uh, this producer did, and he and he wanted to tell the whole story, Uh, but the movie was already so long that they didn't have time to add the faith element. Right, And, and and to Angelina Jolie, she said, "All right, you know, I forgot how much money it is to add, you know, like even a minute." Of time, it's right thousands around. of dollars, right? And she said, "Listen, I'll give you—you know—we'll do another five minutes to the movie if you want to plug it in." And it was actually Louis, so the producer's happy. And um but Louis Danperini said no. Yeah, now, I don't know why. Okay. And I think I think it I think it was just because God said, "Forget ten minutes. I'm going to bring another movie back, and we're going to have ninety <laughs> minutes." You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I mean the no turned into a 90 minute movie. So I don't know why I didn't Louis Zamperini died before I got to meet him. Um, but he and my grandfather were good friends um, and uh, lifelong friends. And matter of fact, when Louis book came out unbroken, it was it, it, Laura Hillenbrand wrote the book, but it had, you know, it's about Louis and some of the other guys. And so uh, he went to go give it to my granddad. And so they hadn't seen each other in years, you know, and so, but they'd always stay in touch and write letters back and forth. And so it's funny because he got up there, my granddaddy's like sitting in a chair because he's old, you know, and he can't hardly move. And and Louis, who's older, is you know, running around my granddaddy doing push-ups and stuff like that, doing <laughs> sit-ups, you know. And my granddad's like, wow, you know, he's just you know, like two old friends getting together. Look, I'm still in shape, Billy. What's wrong with you? You know, I mean, but um, but it was an opportunity to, to preach the gospel and to tell people that. God, there's a lot more Louis in this life, angry with God because of something in their past. They're angry with God. They're hurt. They're mad. They're broken. And they know it. Deep downside, they know it. Louis knew he was a messed up person. I mean, he it wasn't his wife. The wife wasn't the problem. He was the problem. He knew it. And so he hated everything my granddaddy said. He hated it. But one day he went out to walk out the back and the, he doesn't know how he he wasn't in the back. He was at the front. He doesn't, he has no idea how he got to the front. He was getting up to walk out, but he found himself at the front, bawling his eyes out, giving his life to Jesus.
0: His life was turned right side up. Yeah. All because of Jesus. And we give thanks for that. Um, and I, Billy Graham has made movies um, over the years. I remember as a kid, I'm recalling this from my memory. So you can correct me. I think it was Cry of the Mountain.
1: Yeah, uh, Cry from the Mountain.
0: Yes, and I remember going to the theater to watch that. And that was like
1: I, in the 80s. Yeah, sometime that, in the that's 80s. That's a
0: long time ago. I'm recalling it as I speak.
1: You're doing pretty good,
0: buddy. All right. <laughs> and uh, why am I asking this? Oh, because Making Billy movies. Graham used lots of movies, lots of digital platforms. And my question for you is, how can we maximize digital platforms for evangelism?
1: Well, it's... um there's, there's, it's any way that we can tell the gospel. It could be through music. It can be through movies. It can be through books. It could be through newspaper articles. It can be, it could be sympathy cards that you write to a friend,
0: right?
1: You know, it, it comes from all different ways. It's just having a burden for somebody else to know about Jesus. And, um, you know, um, for digitally, it's easy. We can do emails. Um, we can send videos and things like that it can also be the old school just picking up the phone and calling somebody you know or going over to their house and praying with them and uh but for us to especially in the age that we live in i mean my granddaddy used every new technology out there he was on the precipice of using tv he was one of the first people preachers to be on tv he even has a ted talk on internet and technology ted talk he had um he was one of the first to do satellite preachers to use satellite. Um, he would preach in um, in the, in the nineties, he would preach from Puerto Rico. I'm closing my eyes. Cause I got to remember all these details, <laughs> but from, uh, from Puerto Rico and he would preach to all around the world in one night. Wow. Now you're saying, well, those people are sleeping over there. That's right. They would tape it. And when they wake up, they would come to the church and they would play it. And so people are coming to know Christ. All around the world uh, in 24 hours, and he would do that for three days. And so uh, he used that. He was one of the very first people to be on the internet to ask spiritual, to answer spiritual questions. That was with um, Steve Case and AOL, America. Uh, That's uh, American Online. Yes. Um, and so Steve Case came, and my grand, my granddad can't type. He had a secretary, and they would take in questions. I mean, this is old. I mean, this is like a early 90s. Wow um really before anyone was the internet was around but it was just at its infancy no one had it and so he was answering these questions from around the world people sending questions and and he would tell it and somebody would you know speak and type it out and or you know type it out for him and stuff like that and um and so he did one of the first chats and the one of the first chats ever done for aol was with billy graham on spiritual things he peeps away So he would use this stuff, he he would use anything new. So now we're using social media, we're using Facebook, we use Instagram, we use all these things to further the kingdom, not to further Will Graham, not to further Franklin Graham or Billy Graham, but we do it to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to tell people about Jesus. And that's the key. If we make it about ourselves, it's sunk. When we make it about Jesus, he'll use it for his glory.
0: Even with all these different platforms, is there still a need From your experience for mass evangelism and big stadiums, do you find cities like these big events? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, um, let me, I want to correct on something that um, people have an idea about mass evangelism. For my granddaddy, it was never mass evangelism. It was individual evangelism done on a massive scale. 80% of the people that would come, 80% of the people that would come were brought by somebody else that loved their neighbor, brought them to the event and did a, uh, and my granddaddy preached that, or I preach at, or my dad preaches. And so 80% of those people were brought. And so it's really that friend telling that, and I'm getting up there preaching. My granddaddy's getting up there to preach, but it was really that individual that had a concern for their one friend. And yes, my granddaddy's preaching to a thousand people, but it's really a whole bunch of these little one-on-one relationships that brought these people together. And, um, and so, is there still a place for what we would say mass evangelism? Right. I'm using it like the world would say it. Yes. I don't think that'll ever go away. But I think because of technology, it's opened up a whole new doors and new opportunities that I don't think we've even begun to scratch the surface. of. Well,
0: Billy Graham continues to preach um, on YouTube and other platforms. Uh, when I went to the pastor's retreat in Nova Scotia that you guys put on I was talking to a worker there, and she said, "What brings you here?" And I said, "Um, it's through the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association." And she said, "Who's Billy Graham?" And I showed her a picture, and she said, "I saw him on the Instagram. Yeah, just one like a twenty-second clip."
1: That's right, and most of it's not done by us; it's done by other people. <laughs> other people, yeah, done by other people. And listen, we we um, God's given my granddaddy wonderful favor. And that's not something that Billy Graham could do on his own. That's something that God did. And God gave him a wonderful name and he did everything he could to try to protect that name and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And God still uses Billy Graham to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ around this world, even though he's been, let's see, past gone five years coming up on five years now. And so, um, God's still using my granddad because it's the message. My granddaddy was always about the gospel. The gospel never tires. It never grows old and it never lacks power. And that's why when you see people watching Instagram and they see Billy Graham preaching, they're still drawn to it. Why? Because there's power in it because he preached the Bible. He didn't preach his thoughts. He didn't preach American politics. He preached the Bible and there's power, supernatural power to convert the soul. And that's what he preached on. And that was his, uh, that's what God used him for, was to reach so many people with.
0: Absolutely. Well, in the final question, if you had 30 seconds with someone in an elevator and they asked you, what is the good news of Jesus? What would you say?
1: Well, the good news is that uh, it sounds like it's, I guess it starts off as bad news, but we're sinners. We're broken people. Most people understand that we're broken sinners. But there's a person that came to to change all that. His name's Jesus. And he died on the cross. He paid the ultimate price so that you and I can experience freedom from sin, from the brokenness of this world. He can fix it. But there's only one person that can do that. His name's Jesus. All we have to do is receive it as a gift, like a free gift. Like I give my kids a gift. All you do is receive and say thank you. And he'll come into your life and change your life and give you a new beginning in life. And that comes through Jesus.
0: That's the message right there. And the good news is we don't always have to close the deal or land the plane. Thankfully, as you said, the, the spirit of God is at, good at closing the deal.
1: That's but, right. if,
0: but if you've hooked a person, um, you know, that engagement has just begun. You know, we just don't call people to salvation, but to discipleship, as you were talking about at the evangelism summit in in Halifax.
1: Yeah, and, we got to keep discipling. And that's, that's why we always partner with the local church. Because I can't, I, I can't stay in your community forever to, to, to disciple people, and so that's why we want to see people come to know Christ, like through a Billy Graham crusade or something. And we we work with the local church and pass them off to the local church, and where we've gone and we prepared those people to be ready to receive these new believers and to be ready to dis- disciple them so they can grow and now they can lead their friends to Christ. And uh, we see that take place all around the world. Matter of fact, we don't leave until everybody's followed up. We make sure everybody that made the decisions followed up in the weeks to come. That's
0: a key thing right there is the follow-up. Yeah. Partnering with the local church. Well, as we close, let me end with these words. This past November, the world reached 8 billion people. That's a lot of people. (laughs) And this is our generation to reach out to this generation with the gift of Jesus. And I want to say to our listeners, don't think, oh, this is my duty. But look at it like this. We have something good to give to the world, the gift of Jesus. Uh, Look at the early church. Within the first 300 years, um, the church became 51% of the Roman Empire. They made a dent, a huge dent. And we're called to make a dent together with the spirit of God. And as we go out onto the sea of life, we do not take a cruise ship but a fishing boat, but some Christians, unfortunately, behave as if Jesus is their cruise director on a cruise ship, and his job is to make sure his followers go through life with much comfort and and ease and entertainment. Jesus does not take us on a cruise ship, but on a fishing boat with dangers and discomforts. And my question for the listeners is, will you take your fishing boat out onto your sea? In other words, will you share wherever God has placed you? Remember, as you focus on Jesus, as faith permeates your life, there will be a renewed passion to fish for people, to share him with the world. Now, if we fall in love with evangelism, you'll fizzle out, fall in love with Jesus and you'll always have passion in your heart that fire in your bones so my question is will you take your fishing boat out onto the sea and throw the net and i want to say a big thank you to to will for your wisdom and your experience with regards to evangelism and thank you for providing resources over the years for the people of god not just in the us and canada but throughout the world and may our prayer be, here I am, Lord, send me. Thank you, Will, for coming on here.
1: But well, I've enjoyed it, buddy. I, I love your country. I love your people. And uh, Lord willing, I'll get to come back up to Canada if they allow me across the border again and to proclaim <laughs> the good news of Christ. And uh, I, I love it. Um, I can I'm put you to great. work. What's that? I'll put you to work. Come on up. There you go. good, good. Thank you. <laughs> get the Timmy's ready for me. Oh, I will. Well, thank you so much. Because you may never have a moment quite like this again. You come and receive him into your heart and say yes to him. Hundreds of you right now, just get up out of your seat and say tonight, I want my sin forgiven. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want eternal life. I'm ready to surrender my life to Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to follow him from this night on.